0: Good Women's History Month to you. This is Touch Podcast. I'm Ryan. And this is Nate. And this is part two of our conversation with Dr. Tina Shermer sellers of Seattle Pacific University and her book, Sex, Shame, and the Conservative Church. Today we're going to be talking about sources of shame and how we climb out of it and change our sexual expressions and find healing. This episode of Touch Podcast is brought to you by Next Good Consulting. Next Good starts with a powerful question. If this were a comedy, what would happen next? start a new page with Nextgood Good at OurNextGood.com. All right, now back into our conversation with Tina. And if you haven't heard the first part of our conversation, you need to back up and listen to episode six. Previously on Touch Podcast.
1: Walk down the halls of an Alzheimer's unit. You don't have to have memory and you're going to see the elderly actually still seeking connection and pleasure. It's just in us. God has wired it in us. With little ones, they're touching things, grabbing things, sticking them in their mouth, in their ears, their nose, anywhere. It does not take long before they find out that God put a whole lot of nerve endings in a couple of very special places that are in their diaper. right? And they're going to be very excited about it and they're going to want to show you or tell you all about it. Now, chances are... 95% of people, again, grow up in homes that are silent or silent and shaming. When they express this to their parent in whatever way they do, that parent freaks out, slaps their hand away, says don't, that's dirty, whatever. The child has no idea what just happened except for that this person that they love has just gotten really upset with them. And the only meaning they can make is that I must be bad because I have no clue that what I did was bad because it came from such an innocent place. So that internalized sense that I am bad is the beginning of shame. Now that kind of thing happens hundreds of times and often through this body curiosity plus so many other ways. That's shame. I'm bad, not I did something bad. When I did something bad like I know something is wrong, that's my own ethic and I chose to do it anyway. I get in trouble, that's guilt. But when I do something out of my own just normal curiosity and then someone freaks out about it, I don't understand that and the only meaning I can make is that I'm bad. So this gets piled on and on in us and That's shame. We have to deal with our own shame before we're going to do it different with our own kids. And I often talk about a model that I have in the book, the model for erasing sexual shame, which the acronym is MESS. So I always talk about, you know, fixing the mess.
0: Okay, quick clarification here. MESS, model for erasing sexual shame, MESS. Okay.
1: And the model is... Frame name, claim a name. So frame is, the first thing you need to do is you need to frame up a scaffolding of sex education. You need to get yourself the education that you never got so you actually know how normal you are and how normal actually you've always been. And you'll go through a ton of feelings as you do that because you'll wish you had had gotten that all along and you'll feel A little betrayed, although it was never intentional, you know, but you just, we don't live in a country that does comprehensive sex education. So you didn't get what you needed, but you need it. And so you need to give yourself that. And then you'll get the vocabulary as you give yourself that as well. And the name is you need to tell your story to somebody that you know will listen and believe you and be empathic and compassionate. Whether that's one person or a small group of people that you trust where you can each tell each other, here's what it was like to grow up where I was always getting in trouble if I dared say anything about what I thought, felt, desired, did, didn't do, you know. And years ago, a bunch of students and I started, uh, launched a website called ThankGodForSex.org where I had these really brave 30-something students that said, I'll I'll tell my story on video about what what I got growing up, how hard I've had to work to try to become okay with my sexuality, and what I really think about what I believe God's intent in the gift of sexuality is, and what I hope kids get in the future. And so I don't know, there's like 30 videos. It's kind of like the It Gets Better project that Dan Savage started for gay kids. You know, and it's a because what I realized is none of the evangelical kids I knew were talking to each other at all about what they had experienced. So they were living in so much silence. Shame flourishes in silence. So if you can begin to talk in a safe place, the shame begins to melt off of you because you realize you're normal and shame can't live in the light. It just can't. So that's name. Claim is Begin to claim your body back. We live in a consumer culture that's constantly telling you that you are not okay. And yet God made us all different. We're meant to be different. We all have different faces. We actually all have different vulvas and penises too. We're not meant to look the same. We don't know how to celebrate our difference. And yet we none of us want to go to our deathbed and realize we spent 365 days every single year we were alive loathing our body when our body was our vessel for our life simply because we had a consumer culture that wanted us to hate it so that we kept buying things i mean it's it's crazy but we have to work very hard to claim that back kids are dieting by six so we have learned super quickly that this thing we live in is not okay so it's, it's something we have to do together and we have to advocate for each other. When we frame name and claim and we work on that really hard, what we begin to do is the aim part and that is aim for a new legacy, a new sexual legacy that we hold tight to, we defend and we pass down to the next generation. We say we will not pass down the legacy we were given we will give one that is celebratory. That says this is a gift. I love it and I will speak about it. I will celebrate it and I'll be damned if I'm going to pass on shame. This is a gift. I'm going to celebrate pleasure. It's something that is meant to to give me joy because a lot of life is hard, darn it, and and I'm I'm going to think I'm going to say this is a good thing out loud. So that's part of the healing process.
0: Wow, where were you 18 years ago? <laughs> actually, well, actually, we we found ourselves eventually got into some really wonderful uh, pastoral counseling with someone who was very experienced and very open, and had gone to some actually some some training. Um, and uh, but th- it took a while. It wasn't part of the natural progression of where sweet little Christian kids start their counseling. Uh, I'm sure Nate is probably going to want to jump in here. So let me unmute you, buddy. All right, Nate.
2: Yeah, actually, let me tell you what I was thinking. Uh, When we first began and I, I shared my pain um, at that moment, I thought I am the worst podcast host ever. I said absolutely nothing. And, and you did such a beautiful job articulating the pain I could not articulate. So thank you for that. And I just stuck to listening to you and letting each of these insights sink in. And by the end of it, I was no longer feeling that same pain. I I mean, you kind of shed some light. I mean, I I, I admit I'm not fully in there yet, but now this is my story. And, and I hope the listeners who are, who are listening to her words I hope that they are tuning into their own pain that they may have felt when they first heard about um, our guest's research. And I hope you're tuning into your emotions now. If there's any wisdom that you heard, please, please embrace this as divine wisdom, as divine healing along with the pain of the shock of just hearing this stuff. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Wow.
0: I want to circle back around to some other things, but Dr. Sellers for, there'll be some people who listen to our podcast um they will um and it will bring up stuff for them what is your recommendation for someone who listens to this and then like i am i am sick of feeling like i do about myself or about my relationship with my partner i, I really want something to change how how would you advise them? what advice do you give those
1: people mhm You know, I think, you know, picking up a little bit on what both you're saying and what Ryan, uh, what Nate's saying is that you do need to be gentle with yourself, that this is a process. This is a healing process and you're going to go through a myriad of feelings. You know, I mean, often initially you feel anger, you feel betrayal, you feel like, gosh, my life would have been really different if I had this information sooner. Um, And And rather than beat yourself up for the feelings that you're having, which sometimes we can do, I think, as Christians, because we're often not given permission to have the full range of emotions, you know, it's just let yourself know it's okay, you're not going to be in this place of that feeling forever. Just be kind and loving towards yourself. Know that God is with you in it and just keep going. You know, I'll often say, I mean, I have students all the time that come to me like, gosh, why didn't I know this? Like, just be gentle baby with yourself and write or walk or talk with somebody. Just know you're going to keep going through it. And, When I was writing the book, I had in mind that people would read it with other people, like read it together with a group so that they could talk and go slow. You know, like sometimes you can just read a couple pages at a time and talk about that. You know, go slow. Take your time. Um, God is all about healing you. All about restoring you to the fullness of your life, and that sexuality is actually meant to be a healer it 's the place where body, mind soul, and spirit come together and um, so you 're on a journey you now see something you will never unsee it again and just trust the process go slow, find loving people to walk with you and and walk along the way. Um, Sometimes it's really, really good to have a therapist with you. I'll often say to people, though, one of the important things and why you'll notice when you read the book that it's written to clinicians, even though it's also filled with so many stories that it's also simultaneously written written to the person who went through it. The reason that it's written to clinicians is because Clinicians, doctors, and therapists get no training in sexuality, and they get no training in spirituality or religion. Another
0: quick clarification here. What Tina's speaking about right here is exactly right. Um, there's also a discipline called pastoral counseling, where someone with a seminary degree has also done the secular work of psychotherapy, and they have integrated those two. That's pastoral counseling. So a little different, but Anyway, okay, back to what we're talking about.
1: So when you are somebody who has been a part of a conservative religious background, your sexuality's been hurt by both. In other words, there's an intersection there. And so this book was written to raise the cultural competency of clinicians as well as to help those people who were hurt. Um, and so I'll often say to people, give this to your therapist, ask them or your pastor, ask them to read this because this is going to help them because they often won't understand you. They won't understand why you still have your faith and your faith participated in hurting you, even though it did not mean to, you know, and so it is a kind of a both and thing, um, but extend love to yourself, which also is something I don't think we're taught really well to do. You know, go slow. Be careful. Be gentle.
0: What would you say um, to, or what do you say to people? What do you? Te- how do you teach your students when you're dealing with people who are just to the core suspicious of pleasure?
1: Yeah. Well, I often will take the time to try to deconstruct what that's about, what they're afraid of in that because I want to understand the meaning underneath it. Um, I don't usually jump in with any kind of advice. There's usually a story underneath. It could be, I'm afraid of my feelings. I'm afraid of what will happen if I will, if I allowed myself to feel, if I unlocked Pandora's box, if I unlocked pleasure, What if it overcame me? What if it was too big? What if I wouldn't know what to do? Because the story, let's say, of pleasure is that you must not feel it because somehow it's dangerous. Because the prevailing story in Christianity is don't feel desire because desire itself as a feeling is dangerous. We were never taught... Desire is like creativity. Desire is the breath of God, which is what the Jewish people believed. Desire is like playfulness. It's the core breath of God. And desire is powerful, and we have to learn to manage it. So we learn self-control. Desire isn't bad. We must learn self-control. So the Jewish people believed. But what Christians did with it is say desire is bad. And so we learn to be afraid of it. So I often want to understand what's underneath the fear of pleasure, you know, because there's often a story for women. It's often a fear of someone else's pleasure that they're not going to have choice in the matter. They're going to be obligated or that person's, that person's pleasure is going to be too much and then it's going to be their fault for how it manifested and they're not going to be able to control it because there's been a lot of messages about if somebody else's pleasure ignites that that's somehow their fault. So I want to understand the story underneath their fear first, and then we'll go there to understand what that is and and deal with it.
0: And I would say that um, in, in the youth group, in my youth group, I think and in a lot of youth groups, there were this, the, uh, it was sort of the woman, it was always the woman's fault for tempting the man. So that was sort of the presupposition for, you know, reading the Bible, for, you know, watching the news, for understanding how, you know, what kids, other teens were doing at school. Um, and Uh, And it was like the woman's responsibility to um, keep the guy in line.
1: Yeah. Well, and it it conditions every Christian heterosexual marriage. It conditions her to have low sexual desire. And it conditions him to expect intercourse. So from the minute they get married, she doesn't own her sexuality. She doesn't own her pleasure. He owns it and she feels obligatory to give it, I can guarantee you they will never have good sex, never, because it will become a transaction from the the honeymoon on. She has to give it when he wants it. So she never owns her pleasure, she never owns her body or anything. And he never gets her heart which is what he wants more than anything. More than he wants her body, he wants her heart. He wants her to show up and say, honey, you do it to me. You are the one that turns me on. But she's never there because she's like, you know what? All he wants is my vagina. I could be out the door and he'd take my vagina because that's what she believes. Uh. That's what she's been taught to believe. I mean, it's the best way to ruin people's sex lives is to teach her that, that she's responsible for his arousal and that it was always dangerous as she was growing up. You know, And then what we do after they get married, if you've got some older woman in the church saying, I know, I know, it's not very much fun. Just, but you, what you need to do is you just need to think about it during the day. Just get yourself kind of ready for him because it's good for him. That is the most unhelpful thing in the world. I'll end up in my office.
0: <laughs> uh, people at home can't see me nodding and um, <laughs> shaking my head, but um, I'm going to unmute Nate for a sec. See what Nate, if Nate wants to jump in there.
2: Yeah, man, I'm feeling so many things here. I mean, I, first I just have to say how important it is that, um, all this is coming from you, Tina. Um, to hear this from a woman is, it, it matters. And, um, my, my entry into, uh, pleasure was, was, I mean, I put myself into a similar shock. Um, uh, in a nutshell, for me to go through my healing from the purity movement, I did something bold and I made an erotic short. And when I made that art, what I experienced I mean, it's face value, it could look like porn, which is you know, we, we, we shame that, but what I experienced was worship. And so I was just perplexed, sitting brewing in these emotions, not knowing where this fits, right? Um and and but it but it's um but it's the beauty, it's, it's the divine sexuality of all of it all that that we never achieve because of how we currently treated sexuality.
0: Yeah, and then he alluded to so Nate, him and I have a uh, have have a debate off off Mike, and so Nate, as part of his journey uh, towards sexual healing and wholeness, um, he's a filmmaker. He shot a film that is it's very beautiful. Um, it's sexual, it's erotic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the and I would say that it also triggers some shame in me. So I, I'm also trying to process, I'm like, Nate, you can't post that publicly on the internet, you know? And then I'm like, well, why not? Because if it was a scene in a movie and I'm watching it with my wife, we kind of, it'd be really, really sweet and wonderful. But, um, I'm saying all that to ask the question, how do we, do you see a place for um, sexual forms of art um, as being helpful in, in relationships with with folks? Yeah,
1: Yeah, that I love that question. And I think it's a terrific question. And I know it's a hard question to ask, but yes, I do. Um, And I have had, you know so so at the Northwest Institute on Intimacy we run couples intimacy retreats and uh, we have a good chunk of our couples that come through that are from christian backgrounds or are in that age frame where they got a lot of abstinence only education right so there's a bunch of shame and i have had several couples come to me and say is there any place that we can go to get erotic information where we are not surfing the internet. And and we want kind of vanilla. <laughs> you know, um, ideas. You know, um, and we've looked at lots of R-rated movies and yada
2: yada.
0: Nate, okay. I think we need to go into one more episode with Dr. Sellers okay. because... Yeah. The next section is really important. It's really where we go
2: to a deeper level. Okay. There is something underneath the surface that we have to bring our attention to. Uh, There is an abuse that's happening within the church uh, that if we don't adjust to it now, we'll just continue to pass this on to our children.
0: Yeah, so stay tuned for our conversation on erotica and more about how we find healing.
2: And as always, connect with us at www.touchpodcast.com where you can read essays, watch videos, and learn more about upcoming guests. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at touch underscore cast.